This episode of the MFG Cast is sponsored by BattleBards. Get BattleBards premium audio at a great price. But also, you can use our codes to get a great deal. If you sign up today at BattleBards.com and use the code MFGCast1 and buy a $10 and $25 package, you get a bonus track of the Dwarf Temple, the Soul Forging. If you use the code MFGCast2, when you buy the $50 and $100 packages, you get five free tracks, including Eye Monster Combat, Dungeon Dungeon of Loss, Armorsmith Steel and Silk, and Shortbow Arrow Barrage. If you use the MFGCast code MFGCast3, and you buy the $150 and $300 packages, you get 10 free tracks, including the tracks from the MFGCast2 and MFGCast1 codes, but including the music Dark Elf City, Mordingur, the sound effect Magic Missile Spell, the Monsterscape, Common Giant, Torture, the racial language Orcish, Orcish Brute Lashes Out, and the soundscape Castle Ruins, Ruins of the Black Castle at Night. So sign up now and and get great Battle Bards audio at a great price. You want the track that you're listening to right now, the Elven Dirge, Menai Um Vela Ata? It's only a dollar fifty. It's very cheap, and it goes down from there. If you grab some monsterscapes or some great sound effects, it's even cheaper than that, even as low as forty cents. So check out BattleBars.com and get that great premium audio. And thanks for listening. This is the MFG Cast. here it's another it's a time for it's a time uh, <laughs> it's time for another rpg chat if you don't listen to our podcast we like to talk about some rpg stuff but we don't tend to do it as much as we do board gaming and video gaming side mostly board gaming but i'm trying to get more into the rpg talk because i just love to talk about it i'm still a newbie at it myself so it's kind of cool to have these chats so i can learn more about things and also it gives me a, an excuse to have some awesome people on the podcast so this episode I've got a newbie, I've got a couple of old bees, and I've got somebody that hasn't been on since the beginning. So I would like to introduce, we'll start with the newbie. We've got Jesse from the Dragon Fisters podcast, GM. Jesse, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And for those who don't know, he runs a weekly uh, podcast with John from Legends of Tabletop and some other great guys, and it's a fun time, so check that out. Also, we have a couple of people that just newly got married and <laughs> have not been on the podcast for quite a while, so I'm excited to have them on. We have Megan and Acer from The Redacted Files. Thanks a lot, guys, for coming on. Yeah, of course. Hello. And we've got someone who hasn't been on since the beginning. He's one of my good buddies and my favorite GM. Richard Shane is back on the podcast. That's right. I'm back. You better be ready. <laughs> nice. So ominous. Okay. 
So what are we here to talk about this episode? Um, I thought we would talk about setting. There's a lot of settings, there's a lot of RPGs out there. So I thought we could talk about our favorite settings and just kind of converse about uh, what we like about them and uh, that therein. So and the first question I have, to role play a great story, you need a great setting, or do you? I think that's a good question to lead off with. Uh, I have strong feelings kind of about that. I'm a very story-driven GM, and so the setting almost becomes a different character. It's almost like an NPC in a way, but the most important thing always is for the, the player characters to interact with each other and the story that's going on. So yeah, the setting helps, and it can definitely set a tone, but uh, I think its only true purpose is to act as as something to get the characters playing their part in the story or playing their character you know to the to the fullest extent possible it's just my take oh well i think uh i would tend to agree it's certainly easier to tell a story of existential horror in a 1920s call of cthulhu scenario than it is in fifth edition dungeons and dragons for the most part though if you have buy-in from all of your players and the GM is good at communicating where your narrative is going and what sort of tone the campaign is aiming for, then you'll be able to work it out. Settings and systems can help reinforce that and keep everyone on track by backstopping you with details and ways to frame the adventure that uh, would otherwise leave you all relying on whatever tropes that everyone collectively has uh, experienced in the past. But it's always good to have something more of a sandbox to play in. I think it depends a little bit on the system. For me, you can't really tell the stories you can tell in Numenera in any other system or setting as maybe Planescape. I've never tried Planescape, so don't quote me on that. But... um Numenera, the setting is so specific to the story you tell there that um, that's one of the things I really like about the game. For a lot of things, I think the setting isn't super important and world building isn't as important because that's something you can do with your story. But some settings are really special um, that really change that. See, you guys stole a little bit of my answer, but I'll keep going. Yeah, I think that you know while the setting can help or while the system can help influence the setting, I think hands down 90% of your game is setting. You know, while it might be easier to tell a futuristic war story with a Warhammer 40k setting, or it might be easier to tell, uh, you know, clashing swords and shields and magic in a D&D setting, like, you know, Forgotten Realms of Dragonlance. I think that with a little bit of flavor change, practically anything is possible. Like right now, we're actually playing a game using D&D 5th edition, but we're on a futuristic planet filled with dinosaur humans, and we're all using like las guns and plasma rifles, and our druid is a part-time geneticist who implants foreign DNA into his body. So could we do that in a little bit easier and a little bit better in a different system? Possibly. But it works for us because we know the system. And uh, and said you can pretty much, I think, reflavor anything to be what you want to fit 
the setting that you desire. I think you have to clarify a bit whether where you draw the line between system and setting and how much of it you're placing emphasis on. I mean, how much of what we're talking about is the rules behind something, which I think we tend to think of as setting, and how much of it, or as a system, and how much of it is setting. I mean, like a fifth edition doesn't really emulate physics all that well, but so... You know, in a way that that contributes to the, the the world building and the setting. But or are we just talking about the actual concrete details of the world? So on the opposite end of that, is there a time where you've played a setting where you just quite haven't found your footing, and you thought, well, there's got to be a way that either if you're the GM that your players are going to play out of this, if you knew that you were running something that wasn't quite working with them. Or if it was something where if you're a player and you're like, okay, I don't know quite how this is going to work out, but we're going to really try to figure this out and get it to where we want it to go, even though the setting may be a little broken, depending upon, you know, what game you're playing. Oh, that one's rough. <laughs> yes, I, I asked the tough questions. Thank you. I think... The one example I can think of is when Easter and I have tried to do gumshoe games one-on-one -on -one because a lot of the system for that depends on having multiple characters with multiple investigative points to spend. And it's hard when there's only one character and you have to load them up with a lot of investigative points. And gumshoe's been working on a one-on-one -on -one system to sort of complement or fix that problem which Acer and I play-tested, and it really changed a lot of the rules for Gumshoe in order to make that work. But I think if you homebrew enough stuff for a game, you can make any system work for the setting and mood and tone you want, but I think it's a little harder just starting out and not really knowing why those rules are in place and the reasoning and logic behind them that makes the game work. Yes, I think preparation and communicating with your players ahead of time is a whole lot more effective than trying to retrofit a system after the fact because you have the, those alternate expectations for what uh, a game is. I mean, you know, even right out of the box, people will read rules differently and that's leaving aside optional rules or different versions of rules. And so... Really, that's a, it's a difficult situation to be in if you suddenly realize, you know, we should actually be playing uh, something more like I don't know what's it called, Rain or uh, Burning Wheel, and not not uh, Dungeon Dungeon World, for instance. <laughs> no, it's funny. My uh, my actually the experience I was going to bring up had to do with the Gumshoe system as well. It's you know we started the game and like you know in Gumshoe you expect to be more investigative, kind of, I'm not necessarily low-key, but, you know, it has a lot to do with knowledge and searching things out and, you know, being an investigator. But the, you know, the campaign and the, uh, the setting that we were playing in was just a lot more rough and tumble, combative and everything. And, you know, we, like you mentioned, Esser, it's, uh, 
you have a certain expectation when you're playing a certain campaign that uh, a setting is going to be attached with that. So I think in that case, yeah, same thing. The uh, a different system might have totally fit it. Or just, uh, even better yet, an explanation ahead of time of actually saying, okay, well, this is the setting that we're playing in. And yes, this is the system I'm using because I like it, but this is the, these are the adjustments that I'm going to be making. So, yeah, I think that in terms of that, the setting that the guy placed in front of us with little to no discussion ahead of time really kind of let everyone's expectations down quite a bit. Yeah, I, I had that. I sort of had that going into uh, running Knights Black Agents. I sort of uh, expected some more uh, tradecraft and uh, investigation, and uh, my players got firefights a lot, which is you know something that's fully supported by Knights Black Agents. It's the most actiony of the uh, Gumshoe variants, but at the same time, it was a bit weird for me to just give up on that whole. Well, you go to this place, and there'll be these clues. Well, the players are going to have a gunfight on the drive there <laughs> and I should just not plan for these anymore <laughs> so I want to talk more more about that Acer so then you know when you have something like that then do you as a GM do you you know do you try to you know sway them away from doing as much of that if that's what your story is about if your story is mainly one way and they're going another way do you do you let your do you trust your players to play that out or do you go okay well i need to kind of skirt this the way i kind of want it and make it go down the way i was hoping well i had a very formative experience uh as my very first rpg scenario in which we found the bad guy and we found out what sort of bad guy uh, bad things he was working with but we uh, this is call of cthulhu 6th edition but we botched spot hidden roll after spot hidden roll until there was no adventure left because uh, the, the two characters just had to look at each other and go well that was weird <laughs> the whole town just froze in a split second uh and well we don't know anything about it um and then so all we could do was go down to go down to, uh back down the mountain and tell the sheriff, well, the town froze, and all we can tell you is this crazy old man started chasing us in a truck and shooting at us with a shotgun. <laughs> so we blasted him in the face, and then that happened. Um, so uh, I don't know what to tell you. We're going home. Um, so I think the important thing is if you're going to tell a story, make sure you have mobile clues. Don't hide the thing that the players need to find in a specific letter, in a specific drawer, in a specific desk, in a specific office. If your players decide that they're, that, that person, you know, walking down the street and looking a bit suspicious is actually uh, in on the, the conspiracy, then you might as well be in on the conspiracy because they just gunned him down and the police are after them now. So they might as well have a clue for it and just roll with the punches. Um, if uh, they do it too much, then kill them. <laughs> That'll learn, yeah. Uh, yeah, one one PC uh, suddenly getting ripped apart by a vampire generally does the trick. <laughs> I would say so. They go to ground real quick then and start reevaluating <laughs> their options. <laughs> All right, Jesse, you had a thought about this. Uh, yeah, actually, it's one thing that I think a lot of uh, DMs or GMs uh, or storytellers, depending on what system you're playing, don't necessarily learn early enough and 
that's you know I don't necessarily want to switch topic too much, but uh, adjusting your setting. Uh, you know, like if you have if you're trying to play this, you know, investigation heavy game, and you want to kind of take everything down this route, and then suddenly you find that your table is full of murder hobos who want to do nothing but shotgun people in the face, then you know what? Uh, instead of forcing them to play your game and being like, "That's not the setting I've created. This is very mysterious." You know that you. I think you have to say, "Okay, I guess. Uh, I guess things are changing. I guess we're going to be playing a, a bloodbath from now on." And I think that there's just a lot of people that try to force their players down a path and keep beating them over the head with it until either they give up and play a game that they don't enjoy or uh, piss the DM off and he TPKs and everyone quits. You know, play with their expectations. I mean, give them what they want. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you, you blasted the demon in the face. All right, you go home. You've got all the gold. Next morning, he knocks on your door. <laughs> right. What do you do now? That's awesome. So here's a here's another one I was kind of thinking of, and it will probably it's pretty broad, but I'm sure you guys can talk talk to uh, talk to this topic. Um, what components make up a great RPG setting, in your opinion? It's it really depends on what kind of group you're playing with. Um, there's a I don't know. I, I heard a a panel discussion that was recorded uh, by RPPR from I think it was Pack South about the different kinds of fun. And it really depends on what you're, what the players and the GM want to do. I mean, you can tell a story that's uh, full of nothing but incredible action beats or uh, a story that's full of uh, self-discovery for your characters or even your players. Or you could tell a really good, mis you could tell a really good, you know, whodunit. But it all depends on what story is going to provide everyone at the table that, that fulfillment. Uh, of, of why they why they sat down that day, and that's going to change from from day to day. I mean, you know, it's one reason why uh, TRF go ahead, basically just spins the dial on uh, game systems. We're gonna we bought a bunch of we bought an only war book today, and we're going to run only war because I don't know. I guess we're in a morbid mood, <laughs> but at the same time, we're still cranking away at rune uh, at uh, rune lords. God help us. <laughs> Uh, before I get Jesse to talk about this too, so uh, you guys play a lot of stuff, and you're really just trying to find the right thing, and you know, and and play it to its potential. Are are there some that when you when you're going, I mean, you said God help us, but you're kidding. But I'm sure there's a few of them where you go into it and you're going, how the hell are we gonna do this, you know? <laughs> and ha, you know, have you ever played a few things where you're just kind of like, you know, as much as I play this, and as much as I know a lot of people probably enjoy it, it's just. I just cannot get into this setting at all. Uh, I, I joke, but uh, there's a... Uh, Rise of the Rune Lords is six modules. Um, and the fifth module took us 12 sessions to play through. It is a very, very, very long dungeon crawl. I don't know if people are actually going to enjoy listening to that. Parts of it were funny. Um, it's a quarter of our campaign at, yeah. as our recording stands. So we've recorded 48 sessions of, of Rise of the Rune Lords. I have no idea how we're going oh, to fit that into a release schedule. Did that take you like four weeks to record or what? It's uh, It's been going for uh, a year and a half. Holy crap. We meet like pretty much once a week and pound on monsters for uh, two hours or so and then call it a night. Now and again, one of our characters dies. <laughs> 
Megan likes those nights. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, hooray! <laughs> uh, some nights, two characters die, and she's just happy. Um, but we, you know, we try to address the fact that this is a, a really diverse hobby, and uh, even, you know, within it, everyone who participates generally has a couple of different interests they like to pursue. So um, we're, we're into Cypher, Gumshoe, uh, F20 games, and uh, a lot of independent storytelling games because there, there are so many different itches to scratch. Um, so, like I said, you know, your, 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 your best story is the one that you're going to, you know, the next one you're going to really enjoy. So that's going to change from day to day, for us at least. Yeah. So for me, I think one of the keys in in developing a setting, whether whether or not you're homebrewing it or you're using an already developed setting, is small details. Not to and not just like you know the name of that innkeeper, you know stuff like that. Uh, that kind of helps. You know that stuff kind of helps pull in the players a little bit. But I think more so just detailing and outlining a small section of the world. You know whether or not it's just your town or the town and a couple of surrounding hamlets or something like that. But I think a lot of people, when developing a setting, try to go way too broad. They try to create the entire continent or entire world or universe or anything, and you think that you need those details you think that you need you know from coast to coast but in truth your players are probably only gonna you know search a 20 radius area 20 mile radius around you at least for the first you know five or six levels really until they start doing things a little bit more heroic uh and you know who knows how long that can take you have possibly months to develop the area around them and outside that at that point. So I think that there's, you know, don't bother creating a large scope area. The important thing is to create a small place that the players and the characters will believe in and can attach to, and then if needed, expand from there even in systems that already exist like forgotten realms greyhawk warhammer that have these you know giant zones and worlds that have already been created over the last couple of decades you don't need to know all that all you need to know to help your players out is the small area that they're going to be in for that time Um, because if you know that really well then it's going to help them become more connected and uh, allow them to personalize their characters and actually throw themselves into the setting a lot more. Whereas if you have a bunch of tiny little facts about everything, uh, it's not going to help because you're still going to have to, you know, look things up from time to time, or you're not going to have the name of that innkeeper. And suddenly they're going to be like, all right, I guess we're going to wait 30 seconds while he creates a random name on Don John. So I'm going to check my Twitter. So Um, one, one thing I guess through the years that I've been trying to do more and more is just break up the different kinds of sensory input that players go through to to change in the setting and help it evolve. You know, because it's, it's great uh, getting around the table and, you know, trying to explain what your players' characters are seeing or experiencing. or um, But, um, you know, every once in a while, build that model, you know? 
when they, uh, it's like, oh yeah, you know, okay, time to take a little break, and then everybody goes and does whatever, and they come back to the table, and there's a, a freaking castle on it. You know, it makes it makes things change, you know, quite a bit, and um, you know, between doing things like that, uh, playing music for the mood, that's always a big one for me. Um, you know, the, those are some of the most intense moments I, th I remember role-playing is when, maybe not specifically uh, running a game, but I know playing uh, for sure. You know, there are moments as a character when your character does something and a certain piece of music comes on and it just totally fits. Or, you know, say you're describing you are you are running the game and you're describing what's going on and that that music cue hits just perfect you know when you're owning the the description and uh you know so it's i don't know i think it's just stuff like that just try to keep it fresh and uh not uh well that's stagnant stagnant yeah. yeah that's the word i'm looking for thank you mm -hmm. yeah. um yeah just try to always keep it evolving especially if it's the same group of people playing you know on a campaign for a really long time mm -hmm. um you know i mean it's not if you're playing with people you don't really know you can kind of be a one-trick pony and do your you know do your magic and get out but if you're playing with people that you've played with for a long time yeah you definitely have to spice it up a little bit just like the bedroom you know what i'm saying <laughs> you gotta keep it gotta keep the magic flowing somehow <laughs> Gross. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of speak on what Shane had to say um, because I know from experience, and I know what I know what Shane is talking about because in one campaign that we had, it was a long campaign that he's been running with some of his other friends, and I was able to come at, come in on this, and it was just fun to play. And he did the whole thing where he made himself made a life-size model of a castle, and we were just ready to go into that. And just the visual of it was just like, whoa! Now this is what I'm talking about. I mean, the art, the role-playing side of it is always great, and it's always nice to imagine. But sometimes when you have visuals or you have that auditory thing where you can hear, you know, the music that goes with it, it just it takes it to a whole another level. You know, we we talk I mean I actually talk about it nonstop about um, us working with battle bards and using their music for stuff and it's just like man just throwing that kind of something in with with you know with any kind of setting really makes you more immersed in it you know and it's nice to be a part of that and be like wow I can really delve into this where you know it's great to have that you know role-playing aspect where you can talk to another, you know a couple other people do your accent, do where you're from and stuff like that, but to have those other things that are that are involved in it, it just, again, it just, sometimes it's good to have that because it just breaks into the next level, you know, like even having someone like uh, roll up a, a piece of paper and, and burn it on the sides to make it look like parchment and you're like, holy shit, that's amazing, you know, it's so dumb and so easy, but, you know, sometimes it's just nice to have something that's kind of out of the ordinary to raise that setting, so... Right. I'm I'm glad you brought up your uh Battle Bards buddies and uh plugged them because what they are doing I think is you know well it's, I I think it's stuff a lot of us have done for a long time but you know putting it on the market and you know what that's just genius. So props to those guys for sure. Definitely. Agreed. So uh going back to something uh Jesse mentioned uh 
I, there's some advice in uh, one of the support, uh, one of the supplements for the strange that really uh, got me to thinking. Maybe I, sometimes I over overthink things or overdo things. For example, there's a lot of Star Wars lore just hard coded into the synapses of my brain. Apparently, <laughs> like I can still remember how many uh, Tie Fighter squadrons are assigned to a Star Destroyer. I can't blame you that. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, in their uh, uh, Star Wars knockoff recursion. The there are rules for starship combat in for the strange, and there's a note that says that starships in this universe are basically just rooms you walk into. That when you get when you walk back out of them, you're in a different place. And a lot of your world building has to remember has to keep in mind that for your players that are interested primarily often in what their character is doing and what is going on around them. A lot of the details that you will slave over for hours and hours aren't going to matter. Give them what they want and they will be far more engaged. Megan often tells me about all of the little details that are written in the, the campaign book for Rise of the Rune Lords because she finds them amusing and she can't tell them to the players. <laughs> A lot of GMs do this sort of thing. They create this wonderful world with all of these details, and there's no way to communicate to the characters unless they are specifically go going into every room and going, I roll perception just every time, and players aren't going to do that unless they're hyper-paranoid. Good job, Megan. <laughs> well, they do the same sort of thing in the rule book for Horror on the Orient Express where I take a minute to read it off to the players because it's funny because they're like, this person has a 30% skill at butterfly mounting and 60% skill at butterfly catching. And it's obviously not going to come in use on the train ride they're on. But it just, like, this dumb little piece of background info that really flavors the character that, unless I told them, they're probably not going to know. Yeah, feeding off that really quick, the, one of the things that I always tell my players is if it doesn't happen at the table, it doesn't exist. Uh, so they can come up with as much backstory and character details and secrets as they want. Like I had uh, one player who wanted to play a uh, Eidolon summoner, and he was a halfling inside a human's body. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's all well and good. But if nobody ever knows that you're a halfling inside a human's body, then you're just a human. So it makes no, like, it makes absolutely no difference. Um, and so, yeah, you can come up with like all of these cool little details and facts that kind of tie you into stuff. But if you're so secretive about it, or it really doesn't matter that it never comes up in game, it doesn't exist. But one thing to partition into that is one really good thing that I've found that really helps engage uh, players in a setting is allowing them to personalize it. Let them give a detail about their character that influences the setting. It And, you know, it might make a difference to people if you're playing an already established setting, if you're going to a con or something like that, and people can be like, I know for a fact that in the spine of the world that that town doesn't have that type of people, and they don't have alchemists because alchemy is out Well, okay, in that type of area, you know, stick to the setting because you don't want to piss off grognards. But 
if you're playing at your table, let your, you know, especially a newer player who is kind of not, you know, apprehensive about really coming out and, and putting themselves out on the table like that, let them choose something to interject into the world and into the setting as a whole that can really help them tie their character in and make them, allow them to feel more settled, uh, not just in the world, but also at your table. So I'm still a noob when it comes to role-playing and stuff like that. Um, I had a question. I I wondered if there are some role-playing games out there that have a limited setting that um, tell you to basically make what you ha- make, have you and your players make the setting and make that world into what you would like it to be. Is there enough of those? Are those any of those out there? Or are there more like, okay, we obviously, we want an established setting and we don't want to, you know, really, I mean, we want you to play with it, but we don't want you to kind of run that setting. Well, you have a couple of game systems that are just plain out, just toolkits in a box, really. Things like uh, Fate come to mind, or um, but there are also a lot of tools that people use for that. A lot of people play microscope games to sort of create a universe for their, their campaign to exist in. Love. <laughs> we play um, Cypher, so one of our Patreon things is we told someone, uh, we have a pledge level where we'll play a game with them once a month, and they have to tell us what they wanted to play. And they wanted to play a pulpy 30s game. And we're like, okay, perfect, Cypher system. Uh, because they have, like, the basic monsters and stuff, but it's really adaptable to sort of the story you want to tell and the world you want to develop. So that's the main... We we played a little bit of Fate. That's... I don't think we've played anything else that's wide-open toolboxy except Cypher yeah. and Fate. Uh, GURPS is actually a really good one for that as well. Um because the the base system is just so broad plus there's i dozens upon dozens of expansion books that will basically let you play almost anything whatever you want yeah anything from cowboys and indians to robotech to cthulhu there's anything out there for you mass mass combat world war 2 simulation <laughs> yeah there are books for it yep Acer just had to throw that out there, did ya? So is there a setting in an RPG that when you first played it, and I almost, almost feel like I'm repeating myself, but I, I, just stop me if I have. Is there a setting in, in a role-playing game that you, you, just, you love the role-playing game so much, but the setting was so broken that you were like, I just, I just want to fix this. I just want to make it to where it, it's something that we, that it's a, a lot easier to play than what it states. Shane, go ahead. Yeah, well, that, that I see. And here's where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit confused on the subject where the setting or the system, and if they're one and the same. And I'm not, I'm not sure they are. But, but anyway, the, as far as system goes yeah that justifiers game mm-hmm. that i have and uh t- for anybody who doesn't know about this game it's just this little this little tiny system i found in a used bookstore in the early 90s it's written by some guy named gideon all right it's, it's about anthropomorphic uh animal soldiers 
in the future that are owned by corporations and they're like indentured servants and they have to go out and and uh, do all these dangerous jobs that that humans can't do because it's out in the dangers of space and and they owe the corporation so much money for creating them and then once they pay them they get their freedom and and uh, yada 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 but the system is so hard to play it's such a fractured percentage-based leaking through the cracks i mean questions galore no answers i mean it's not you as as the gm are just as confused as everyone else and that sucks yeah because when we played that rp when we played that justifier as rpg like the story itself that we made was a fun one right but with how everything in how everything was written in the book it was like we we're all scratching our heads like okay do we have to do like chemistry to make this work do we have to write out some you know formula to make this be what we want it to be and for some reason it just it really threw us for a loop and yeah. it really it turned a game that maybe would have been a lot shorter into something that was super long right and and yeah you're in the middle of this awesome action sequence and things are you know th things should be resolved really quickly but instead you're trying to figure out this complicated percentage-based formula you know so you're just sitting there doing mathematics instead of being able to play the game mm -hmm. it's very frustrating yeah i need the story in my life I was gonna suggest eclipse phase. <laughs> I was gonna suggest eclipse phase, but if percentage-based formulas aren't your thing, then maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, math! It hurts my head so much. Yeah, it really. I'm an uh, yeah. I I'm an artist. Uh, math. I hate it. <laughs> I think the only system we've tried that we just couldn't do was Burning Wheel. I will admit that some of the problem might have been that I was playing the game with three blind people, so I was the only one who could read the tables in the book. And there are a lot of tables in that book, everyone. <laughs> Everything's tables. And so we were really confused, and I don't think... Yeah, that was the one game that we couldn't... We tried and we couldn't do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I think just keeping keeping it simple sometimes is I think is always best, regardless of who mm -hmm. you're playing with. Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's tough depending upon what you're playing. If you like the concept of Burning Wheel but hate all the tables and everything, you should try. Have you tried Mouse Guard? Uh, I've listened to it. I we haven't tried Mouse Guard. We should try it at some point though. It it takes the the concept of Burning Wheel and it really kind of. It really does simplify everything and just kind of bring it down. I don't necessarily want to say to a basic level, but you know, in effect, that it 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 just it it breaks everything down into you know single roles, and there's really no there's a third there is a a three step a, uh, encounter table to go by, but it's basically like okay if. If you're aggressive and they're defensive, then aggression, you know, defense beats aggressive and aggression, stuff like that. But uh, it's it's a very intuitive um, adaptation of Burning Wheel. And it's all about just character progression and learning and, and teamwork above all, too, because the combat, you don't deal with it on a one-to-one -one basis. Mm -hmm. It's all about, okay... You know, this is what my team does for this round. So, and also, uh, the setting is amazing. I love Mouse Guard. I love, you know, I read all the the graphic novels and everything like that. So to play within that world, 
with that system system was just bonus. So the one thing I I did really like about Burning Wheel is that it has uh, rules for social combat, which I haven't seen done in a way that I thought worked as well in any other system. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can make rolls for persuasion and stuff, but I really liked their social combat rolls. But I think those sort of rolls mm-hmm. too also made it me not like Burning Wheel because. I don't mind crunchy games, but that I think is the crunchiest game we've tried to play. And there's just so many rules. And Acer and I tend to go towards more rule light stuff that are a little more flexible. Yeah. And that, yeah, that one was overwhelming for us. Yeah, that's I was the same way. Burning wheel, you know, the the core burning wheel was you know, reading over the manual, and I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> but you know, when we finally sat down and played Mouse Guard, they just they really do take Burning Wheel and just make it a light system. Uh, so that was a, we were able to just kind of go with it. And they still have the social encounter, which is great because, you know, you, you RP it out. And then at the end, you're like, okay, and this is the action that I took with that. And you compare it to the other guy. And we've actually, you, I've taken a lot of the aspects of Mouse Guard and put them into my uh my other campaigns uh in terms of the social encounters and the teamwork abilities and all that kind of stuff because it's just uh it's really good i really like it i'm kind of a fan so i fanboy out a little bit (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome okay well i will kind of speak to that because that was actually my last question so what is your what is your favorite type of setting jesse uh, I think my favorite setting is one that doesn't have too many details that bog down the party and the table and the gameplay. You know, honestly, I, you know, we tend to lean a little bit more towards medieval fantasy settings. You know, we are at core a D&D group, but, you know, bringing things into Mouse Guard where it's still like, you know, a musketeerish type setting uh just you know with mice but you know we've also done warhammer 40k and gamma world and uh dungeon world and all that kind of stuff and and savage with a lot of worlds jesus (laughs) but but yeah uh you know just something that allows the players to play the characters that they want you know obviously setting provided you're not going to play a a sword and board paladin in a warhammer 40k game you know you, you well, could try you might have like a <laughs> you could you definitely could try you could have a, a you could have a uh oh with a like a chainsword <laughs> instead uh it could it could actually probably work but yeah you know just something that allows the characters freedom and doesn't try to bog them down with way too much detail and and world development I definitely, I have a favorite setting. I love Numenera. It is the, I, for the podcast, Acer mostly runs things that he comes up with off the top of his head, and I mostly run pre-written stuff. So Numenera is the first thing I wrote out um, a campaign for us for, and it is, I love how flexible the system is, and, uh, so usually when you go and create a party, you don't want to create a party that has three paladins in it because that messes things up. But Numenera is a little more flexible in that you can create three glaives, which are all warriors, but one can be a glaive who carries a quiver, so they're more of a ranger, and a glaive who 
is really good at charismatic stuff. Like, they are a leader and they have their military behind them. And you have a glaive who uh, um, is really good at uh, standing fast and preventing anyone from getting past him. And so I really like that adaptability and how you build your character. And then the world, the idea behind the world is that we're a billion years in the future and there's been nine great civilizations or eight previous great civilizations that have existed on earth and there's remnants of all these civilizations everywhere that you can encounter and you can use those remnants as sort of magic because they're not understood so it's I like the sort of science fantasy setting and that's really what it plays into so the world is sort of medieval but there's magic and there's technology and it has all those gooey bits I love and then most of the, the world is unexplored, so that gives you a huge amount of flexibility in what they're able to encounter and find. I just love it because anything you can think of is possible. You can walk into a room and it's filled with a blue mist that uh, eats all of your magic items, or you can uh, pop a bubble and it heals you. Um, stuff like that that I, I guess, slightly more whimsical that I love in my games. I, on the other hand, like games in which your character <laughs> is going to get hurt. <laughs> uh, not in a, I rest for uh, eight hours and I'm better kind of hurt. I mean, like, I saw something and it changed me and I have to deal with that kind of hurt. I talk a lot about Delta Green. That's the first thing that we planned running for the redacted files. Uh, it's sort of... Um, uh, brainstorming around it uh, is what led to our podcast getting its name. But I like that sort of RP-heavy setting that sort of uh, puts characters up against the world in a, a scenario and with a mindset that they're not going to uh, walk out of it having slayed the CR-20 dragon mm -hmm. and come back to their village with all the, you know, the gold that rivals the, the treasury in uh, Neverwinter. Because I think for characters, or for, uh, for a lot of players that uh, we uh, run games with, that sort of story is more uh, engaging, uh, offers them more opportunities to interact in a way that's uh, identifiable and potentially meaningful, and uh, can give them something to really chew on. And yeah, it deals with some things that you know, could be uncomfortable, but at the same time, it uh, uh, can be uh, empowering and uh, give you something really to sink your teeth into when you go out in that final blaze of glory. Maybe when your when your uh, sanity hits zero, and uh, you you know you push the button or pull the trigger. Yeah, wow, uh, some really good answers, and there's a lot of bits and pieces of of stuff uh, that everybody's kind of said. So I think I'll kind of shoot for the more uh, metaphysical response. <laughs> Big word. You'll, you'll have to tell me what that means. <laughs> Which I, I think my favorite setting is the one where when that moment happens in the game and you're looking at the players' faces and the players are looking back at you like, holy crap, this is the most amazing thing ever. And, and you know that they're not just a couple of people sitting in some chairs, rolling some dice and anymore. 
you know, it's become this totally other thing where everybody is just in this zone of creativity and fantasy and 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 releasing like all of our inner children together mm-hmm. and just enjoying the fact of why we play games mm-hmm. in the first place mm-hmm. like that to me i think is my favorite setting because mm-hmm. you never know which one's gonna work you know like and and some sometimes your game is a little off you know as a gm or whatever you might not have the best session or you might I mean, who knows with everything that goes on in life and, you know, you might just be tired or, but, you know, when everything clicks and, and everything's just firing on all cylinders and you get that moment, that's it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off of that. That's kind of my thing too. My, mine is like more of a, the escapism of it. I, my favorite setting is the setting where you can get out of your head about what's kind of going on with your life and just kind of get sucked into the moment, you know, where you can go into this setting and say, I, my character, and a little bit of me, because you're playing a little bit of you in each character you play, is sucked into this world, and I'm a part of this world. And when when it's to that point where, you know, your characters, whether you're playing it or you're GMing it for other people, they get lost in that. And they're able to kind of get on, get out of their own lives and get into this whole thing and make it a world of possibilities. That is my, that's one of my favorite parts. And even kind of piggybacking on what you said, Shane, like when you have that moment where you're, ta- when you're describing something or you're talking about something and you could hear a pin drop and you can tell that everybody's eyes are on you, no matter if you're the character or the GM, that is that is what role-playing is all about, to get fully immersed in that kind of thing. Ridley, I once got that by having people go into the strange and fight Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, uh, like Asser, I do a lot. My whole thing has been homebrew, because I was an idiot, and when I started up DMing 10 years ago, one I, I had no idea about existing settings, really, or anything like that. I just kind of went into it with fresh eyes, and it was possibly the best worst mistake I ever made but I think when for the pinnacle when you've created a setting that when you can feel the best is when it really drags your players in and when the line between player character kind of is is blurred you know when I really knew that I was onto something was when the storyline had brought the group to a fork in the road and they needed to make a decision of which way they were going to go and, you know, what they were going to do in the story. And they sat down for over 45 minutes and every single word that they said was completely in character. And I literally just sat there, which I don't normally do. I'm usually standing at the table, walking around and I took a seat and I said absolutely nothing for over 45 minutes and all they did was just in completely invest themselves into the world and when that when something like that happens when when they talk in character completely when the death of a character makes people cry uh you know anytime something like that happens uh i think 
no matter what system you're playing, no matter what table you're at, no matter what game you're playing, you know that the setting has worked. That totally makes that totally makes for the best kind of games. Yeah, that's well said. Yep, yeah. yep. And that's what we're kind of talking about. You know, we're talking about, you know, setting really making a game that really, you know, brings out the best in everybody. So um, it's great to just talk about that. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a good place to end on. Yes, we will adjourn there for this evening. <laughs> that's right. Um, so before we let everybody go, I would like to give a big thanks to Megan and Acer for coming on. Um, it's mm-hmm. always awesome to have you guys on and talk about this kind of stuff because I figured you guys you guys play so much damn stuff. It'd be it'd be cool to see <laughs> what your idea what you what you had ideas on. So we'd like to just. Talk about what you guys got going on besides your uh, your uh, year and a half campaign. What else you got going on? <laughs> so let's see. The main campaigns that we're putting out right now are Rise of the Rune Lords, a campaign set in the Strange, a campaign set in Numenera, uh, Horror on the Orient Express, Knights Black Agents. Am I missing one? Oh, well, you're running through that Dresden mini campaign. Oh, we're releasing right now, we're releasing a mini Dresden campaign that we tried because I love the Dresden books and I I needed to run that. (laughs) I know. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous of everybody. Like, I've heard lots of people that are kind of running their own little things about that. I'm like, oh, I want to play it so bad. Yeah, we had to figure out uh, what point up in the books that we wanted to spoil until. So we we tried to keep it safe for people. That part is hard. That's that's the part that's going to kill me if I ever try to play it. Yeah. And then we're also, we both are on a Firefly podcast, Acer GMs for that, and I play on that, but we don't do as much of the heavy lifting for that podcast. <laughs> Very cool. All right, thanks again, guys, for coming on. Jesse, you've got Dragon Fist just going strong. Tell us about what you guys have got going on right now with that podcast. Well, right now at the Dragon Fisters at the table, we are currently running a futuristic extraplanetary dinosaur D&D 5th edition adventure in Google Hangouts. We are at the tail end of the currently airing Unlock the Worlds campaign, and we are in the process of planning a Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game. That will be GM'd by Neil, who is the former GM of the former Nerdbound podcast. Last but not least, I'd like to thank Richard Shane for coming back on. It's been a long time. I think episode five, three, something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know me, man. I'm the old recluse that just kind of comes around every once in a while. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So hopefully we can have a nice summer of uh, role-playing hopefully coming up here soon and we can maybe release a couple things for you and maybe we can have Shane come back on for another RPG chat. So thanks for coming on, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And that's it for another uh, MFGCast episode. Like I said, I want to try to do more of these, so hopefully we'll see more of these in the future. You keep listening, we'll keep putting them out. Thanks a lot, guys, and have a good night or morning whenever you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Legends of Tabletop Podcast, creating legends one die at a time.